0: Okay. So, when Jesus gets there, how long has Lazarus uh, been gone? Four days. Now, the Jews would say that the Spirit hovered over the body for three days. The fact that he's been dead four days would mean even to them the Spirit's long gone. And uh, so. Um, there are, Bethany, where, where Lazarus was, was very close to Jerusalem, and um, a couple of miles away. And so uh, the Jews from Jerusalem have come to console Mary and Martha. That probably means there's a lot of danger for Jesus here. He's going to withdraw again shortly after this and come back. Um, but uh, when Martha hears that Jesus is there, she, she comes to him. Now, remember what we know about Martha and Mary. You know what would you see as the contrasting personalities between Martha and Mary?
1: Martha, very practical, um, very—I uh, don't know. She likes to serve.
0: And Mary?
2: <laughs> I see Martha's kind of the forceful, willful one, and Mary's much more submissive and quiet.
0: So is it not? Appropriate that Martha's the one that comes out to Jesus first, that kind of, you know, immediately comes to him and uh, so forth. It just seems to me like it's kind of characterful, what, at least a little bit we know about the two of them, that, Mar- that Martha would more, be more aggressive. And when Martha comes, she says to Jesus, Can't you imagine this being an appropriate thing to say? Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. I bet you anything that's what they kept saying over and over again. Oh, Only Jesus had been here. You know, it's just like, wow. I mean, she's not down on Jesus. It's not like she's, she's trying to rebuke him. I mean, she says, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. She, she's not saying she thinks that, you know, Jesus is, you know, weak or, or something. Like that. But, but man, if you would only been there. You know, they have great confidence that if he'd been there. Lazarus would never have died. He'd have healed Lazarus. Jesus said, no, your, your brother rise again. But well, what does Martha think he's saying? Yeah, isn't that what we say? Somebody loses a Christian loved one, well, you'll see him again. They'll, they'll be raised from the dead. It'll be okay. You know, that, that's just a normal way you'd comfort somebody in that situation. So to her, that's what Jesus is saying. And Jesus says, look, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, again, we're seeing Jesus as what? Jesus is the life. He is the source of life in Jesus. We don't die. We just live. Even if we die, we don't die. We live. And uh, I, I don't know that all of the implications of this would have been all that clear to Martha or really are all that clear to us until we see the fulfillment of this. But she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, even the one who comes into the world. She has faith in Jesus. She appreciates Jesus. She's not down on him. But boy, wouldn't it have been great if he had been there. Comments and thoughts.
1: How
3: much would they have known
0: about the last day and the resurrection? Well, that's a good question. I mean, Jesus has taught some things, even in John 6, about the last day and the resurrection. There certainly are some passages in the Old Testament that seem to point to some concept of the afterlife. But, 2 Timothy 1.10 says that Jesus brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. So evidently, life and immortality wasn't so clearly seen in the Old Testament. Jake. But,
1: but even the Sadducees' question of Jesus, whether it's around him about who's will she be, whose husband will she be, it is very. I mean, that's a similar picture. What we that's like an accurate picture of his resurrection and afterlife sort of thing. And that's even the Sadducees saying
0: that. Of course, they're saying not to say there is no resurrection, well, but yes.
2: Well, right. As the popular understand that, that is, was
0: fair. It was fair. The, the, right.
2: the, the Sadducees seem to be operating on the popular idea of what the resurrection is to create this little conundrum that's supposed to disprove the resurrection. Right. So that seems to argue some kind of popular idea that there was going to be a resurrection.
0: Yes. The Jews in general believed in resurrection. Not necessarily with great, you know, insight into the details. Yes. Is
3: there significance to four days with Jesus is three days in the tomb? I mean, is there anything there? It it's kind of stands out. There's one more day.
0: I don't know. Ben.
4: The question Jesus asked Martha is one that we need to ask ourselves a whole lot. We, we sometimes you know, know certain things about Jesus the way Martha does it. If he'd only been here... You know, things would have been so much better. And, and yet, we say we don't we need Jesus, we like Him, but the you know, things are just so terrible and, and we can't do anything about this, and we can't fix this, and we allow ourselves to be inactive and excuse ourselves and we just kind of wallow around in our misery. And sometimes if, in the middle of those situations, we just look at ourselves and say, do I really believe what He told me about the potential for change in my life and the potential to overcome whatever difficulty? Do I really believe this? If I do, it's going to change something. And too often, though, we don't—we don't want to see in the terms of, well, do I have faith in what Jesus said or not? We want to see, this, well, just you know, this is such a bad situation. This is some, we need to see in terms of this and ask ourselves really, do we trust in Him?
0: Good point. Good question. Other thoughts, Alan?
4: Uh, is this statement in 25 and
5: 26 like like a correction of what she says in 24? Like, what is he doing with that?
0: Well, yeah, in a way, it is. <coughs> He is more than just saying he'll oh, raise him up on the last day. Jesus Himself is the resurrection and the life. This is not just some pious words of comfort. But I don't know that she understands what He's saying. But in Him there is life. In Him He is the resurrection. So I think it is more than what she said,
4: Ben. And maybe just a good parallel is you mentioned earlier someone who someone they are close to who passes away. You know, we, we look at those situations and, and very often we see, you know, well, it's not, it's not the end of life. It's not the end of these things. And the person says, oh, I know that, but then they go right back to just feeling like it's the worst thing in the world and we need to really step up and say, you no, know, this is what you're saying you know. You really trust. Yeah. When Mary and Martha
5: sent word to Jesus that the brother was sick, do you think implied in that is a request? I think so. So then she would interpret his not coming almost as, as a failure. And so verse 22 would be, even now, or in other words, even though you failed me, even now I still believe you're yawning on me, Gary. Yeah, sorry about that.
0: <laughs> you didn't talk so much, I wouldn't
5: Uh, uh,
0: Well, I'm not sure to what extent she's trying to say he failed her as if there's some guilt in that. There's a failure in the sense that he wasn't there. Now, I don't know about her criticizing him staying two days. As Chris pointed out, wouldn't have made any difference. Still would have gotten there after he died. So I don't know if she's really thinking about that as much as just, just more in general if it would have been there. But it almost sounds like a criticism. I mean to say if you'd have been here my brother wouldn't have died, you know, I think she hastens to reassure him that she still has faith in him. So I don't know, maybe it is, but I've just taken it more as a general statement, I wish you would have been here. Maybe
5: I'm being a uh, even her statement after he makes his great declaration, I am the resurrection of life, uh, pushing her to expand her, her belief in who he is, she puts in a past tense, I have believed. Or in other words, she doesn't move further the faith, she just repeats everything that she would always believed before. Yeah.
0: Okay. I don't know. I have a better view of Mark than Mary, but I may be wrong. Ben.
2: Um... <laughs> Why is it that he, in verse twenty five he says he believes in me will live, and if he dies in verse twenty
1: six he flips it and says everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Is there anything to that or
0: is it, Well, you know, even if you die physically, if you believe in him, you'll live. But if you live and believe in him, you'll never die in the fuller sense of death. No.
2: Um. Someone mentioned verse twenty five and twenty six reference me the course to verse
1: 24 is it correcting Martha or is it adding on to what Martha said was Jesus correcting what Martha had said before or
0: adding I think he's modifying it I think he's saying I'm not just saying what everybody says that in the last day he'll be raised I think he's saying I am the resurrection of life don't just think about these common, <laughs> pious words of comfort see me as the source of life and resurrection. You said the, Jews uh, believe that the
5: spirit uh, was with the
1: by three days. Yeah. Um, is that a common thought?
0: Evidently from what I've read, I'm not a first century Jew, but <laughs> <laughs> most people seem to think so.
5: So that, that's not...
0: Pretty, I have no idea about that. But pretty much everything I've read says that. So, Nathan. Um, in
2: verse 18, when it mentions that Bethany was two miles away
1: from Jerusalem, is there something to that or not really? Uh, I mean, some
0: significance. That how well, it's just close to the place where Jesus is in so much danger. That's what I would see in so, that. And... and that way, the Jews in Jerusalem—I mean, it doesn't take them long to get there. So she's got a lot of comforters coming out of Jerusalem to comfort them.
3: Tim? I'm going
6: to do a bit to Martha um, in the tough question that you know God has the ability to do anything, um, and so does that make him responsible for things that happened that he didn't do something about? It. Is Jesus responsible for Lazarus' death because he didn't? make it not happen you know what I mean and so that's just a tough situation you have and you know God could do something but he didn't and then there's this tendency Tennessee. you want to blame it or I don't know just, I just don't get anything to say about that but I just we find ourselves in that similar situation it's just kind
0: of tough I agree I'm not sure I have an intelligent comment about that but I agree <laughs> you thought I didn't have an intelligent comment <laughs> about some of the others but yes Micah
3: Yes. As we always say in response to that, the answer to human suffering and all of that is Jesus, ultimately. And that's what Jesus says the answer is. Martha says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says, I am a resurrection of life, and the life. People have life through me. Ultimately, I am going to solve this problem.
0: Good point. Okay see what happens with Mary, 28 to 37.
3: When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. When the Jews were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to soon, weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not die. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit, and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him?" And they said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying?
0: Okay. So, Martha quietly lets Mary know That Jesus is there and calling for her. And Mary goes out to meet Jesus. Martha was trying to get this to be something where Mary could see Jesus privately, but it doesn't work. because everybody sees her leave and thinks she's going out to the tomb to weep. And so they follow her out there. So she's kind of got an audience. Uh, But what, what happens? When she gets to where Jesus is, what does she do? fell at his feet <laughs> what do you think about that with Mary in Luke 10, she,
4: was at
5: Jesus feet.
0: she sat at Jesus' feet in Luke
5: 10
0: in the next chapter she washes his feet and Mary's always at Jesus' feet and all three times we see her in this gospel yeah, that's kind of significant and what does she say? Same thing Martha said. That makes me think also they'd said it to each other. Wouldn't they have said it anyway? And so basically the first thing she says, oh, if you'd only been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus sees her weeping. He sees the Jews that are with her weeping. This grieves Jesus. Uh, hurts Jesus you know he weeps now it's kind of interesting that Jesus himself weeps was he weeping for the same reason that Mary and Martha were they were weeping because they wouldn't get to see Lazarus Jesus can't be weeping for that because he knows he's about to raise Lazarus he'll see him in a few minutes so why is he weeping
3: People are
0: I think so. I think he's sympathizing. He's weeping out of compassion with the grief of Mary and Martha and the others. We weep with those who weep. That's, that's my explanation. That's pretty impressive that Jesus would be that grieved by their grief. And the Jews say, see I loved him. They don't understand. They think he's weeping over Lazarus. And some of them say, well, couldn't he have kept him from dying? Then...
5: Could it be possible that the reason why those was reading is I guess sees all death as being a consequence of sin and you, you could perhaps go solve what sin mm-hmm. is done in the world?
0: I'm not against that explanation. Maybe. Wes?
5: You've mentioned
2: before that when it mentioned Jews as opposed to just the person that kind of mm-hmm. mentioned antagonist paganism private. Yes. Do you think it's here to do the
0: same? I don't know. Yeah, the, Jew, the term "Jews" doesn't have to mean that. It often does. I'm not sure about here. But
2: here's kind of in practical terms: How do we cultivate compassion in our hearts? You know, I mean, we're supposed to be people. Colossians three talks about having hearts of hold compassion. How do we get to this point? By Jesus, the people that we
0: hurt. It's an excellent question. How do we develop the compassion Jesus had? I don't know if I've got great answers. We pray about it. We really seek to see, understand, and appreciate the love and compassion God has for us. And I think we push ourselves to care and feel for and sympathize with others. I mean, I think that our constantly seeking to love them, really love them and care about them, will ultimately bring us to feel with them. It's a good question. Other thoughts? Yes.
1: I think in verse 33 when it says that he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled, I think not only is that... That's just really encouraging to me and real impressive um, because you know, he is Jesus and he is getting upset and troubled by humans. And I think that shows how much he really does care about us, how much he really does love us. And not only that, but I think it also shows that us as humans can sway. Um, God's emotions and God's opinions and or not his opinions his, his decisions on what he's going to do um, and you know he gets He gets moved and he gets touched by things that humans do and you know if, I think if we're good examples and we're doing what he wants us to do um, that, that we can sway his decisions on things and
0: things like that certainly it's amazing that the Lord cares how he does and I do think his concern for us almost Fills us with the love that we can then share with others. Brigham.
5: It seems like a consistent message you get from everybody in this chapter from the beginning is Jesus could heal him, but he can't raise him. I mean, see repeated over and over again mm-hmm. for different people. Yeah. Um, well, I guess. One question why, did, why why did they have so much trouble believing in But I, I guess by this point they've already seen at least one resurrection. There are a couple other resurrections recorded in the last week. Why, why did they have so much trouble picturing
0: that happening? Well, it's a good question. Yeah, Jesus has raised Jairus' daughter and the widow of Nain's son. I don't know for sure they knew that. I don't know if Jesus had raised others. He might have. Uh that's a possibility. So that would make but but my guess is he hadn't raised anybody who's been dead four days. Yeah, Roger. I heard I don't know much about this, but I heard that after four days the
5: body starts to decaying. So I don't know if they reveal that it's four days. I
4: don't know if that also
0: not sure it would take that long, but
4: <laughs> Ben did he did the same thing with the loaves and the fishes. I mean he did that you're right. a while later and they just seemed to get people who understands if it has short-term memory
3: loss
4: or something? <laughs> <laughs> so we, we really do the same thing, do we? We come to a class like this, we learn something, and we turn right around and go outside in the parking lot, we, we do something that contradicts what We just said or we just amen, or we just nodded to We really do the same thing.
2: You ever had, good Chris? There isn't any indication yet that he was going to raise him. Not, not to the people there. I agree. And he starts crying, so they're like, "Well, he's given up on him. He's weeping over the person that's dead." So, the, as far as they're concerned, it's it's done.
0: Yes, David. There yeah,
3: is no
1: indication or belief uh, Bobby can raise him in 2022. That's Martha or
4: Martha.
0: Well, I think she's just saying, "I still trust you." I don't I, I may be wrong I don't think she's hinting you could still raise him if you wanted to it almost sounds like that but I don't based upon everything else she says it doesn't strike me that that's what she's saying I think she's more saying hey I still know that God loves you that God will give you what you ask I, I'm. it's not like I'm doubting you it's not like I'm down on you
3: that's right just the fact that she says that whatever you ask I just see a series of events uh, I think it would make sense that, that she
0: would be heading at that uh, I, mean, I, I don't deny that mm-hmm. but the rest of the chapter doesn't seem to corroborate that so I don't know um, you know let, let me suggest this about some, one of our earlier questions you ever been in a terrible crisis you know something really really horrible and you prayed about it but it was just it looks desperate and the Lord intervened, and He solved the crisis. That ever happened to you? Happened to me. You know, and you know it's the Lord. I mean, it was just man, it was hopeless. And wow, what He did is amazing. You ever come to a crisis sometime later, and feel just as desperate and hopeless, and not really see the Lord as the solution? I think that happens to us a lot. We have about as bad a short-term memory loss as what the disciples did. I mean, why do we still not trust him? I, so it may be that they really should have seen him as a source of resurrection, and whether he raises him or not, they should trust him and, and rely on him. But, uh, but, but maybe they really just, you know, are like us whatever he's done in the past never seems to count for the future other thoughts Micah
3: as we look at the character of Mary and Martha what strikes out to me is just how spiritually minded they are how they have a faith and a trust in him and how they understand and they think on a spiritual level whereas in verses 12 and 13 his disciples and his apostles who have been following him for years they're still thinking in this worldly sense of, oh, we don't understand that he's actually died instead of falling asleep. They're still thinking in a very worldly mindset as opposed to uh, Mary and Martha.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I agree. Good point. Another uh,
1: thing is that, you know, Jesus weeped for the people. Since he feels sorry for us, thou should make us... Want to change from us? We should feel sorry what we've done against Jesus, and we should like that should make us want to turn away from, take out all the sins we've done, and obey Him
0: certainly. Yes, we we love Him because He loves us, Ryan.
1: First love. It's kind of interesting that they say it's good.
2: Not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying like you would think that his ability to heal a sick person or heal a crippled person would have been like the more relevant skill when it comes to saving Lazarus but they really kind of latched on to this healing of the blind man They talked about how nothing like it had never been done before
0: good point the healing of the blind man was really significant yeah that's interesting Wes
2: okay, I had a question about that um, uh, was there the that
1: time? No, been...
0: Yes, both Elisha and Elijah raised someone in the Old
1: Testament. It wasn't like and said, nobody did.
0: That's correct. it
1: right. is like
0: Yes. Tim? Another
6: important thing, thing that this story does for me is it reinforces the very hard to prove that some of the most important works of God are very, really, very hard on his people. Um, and, and a lot of things throughout the Bible, over and over again, it scares me us, and the most important things are just very, very hard. Um, and it's also good to see that while it's hard on us, it's hard on God and Jesus. That is hard on us, and he is compassionate on that. And, and so Lazarus was resurrected here, and it ends happy, but, you know, they all died again. You
0: know, like, well, who cares about that? Because here's this amazing story about the works of God. Um. Mm-hmm. Good. Other thoughts? Okay. How about uh, 38 to 44?
4: So Jesus, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against him. Jesus said, remove the stone." Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four years. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings in his
0: face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind me and let him go. Alright, so look at the circumstances of this resurrection. Does anything remind you of something that's going to happen later in the Gospels? Obviously. <laughs>
4: Obviously.
0: Yeah, the stone, the the wrappings, the cave, the women that are closely connected with it. It's it's rather remarkable how many parallels there are between this event and Jesus' resurrection. And uh, so Jesus comes to the tomb and says... Remove the stone. <laughs> What's Martha say?
2: <laughs> I'm not
0: sure you want to do that. <laughs> kind of, kind of, you know, h- horrifying to her. You really don't want to see or smell Lazarus like this. I mean, you know, I know it's kind of funny, but, but it's kind of like, boy, that would be a real, I don't know, I, I just, I think it would be really hard to, like, see the body of Lazarus decaying and stinking. I mean, we embalm bodies. And so they're preserved, you know, a lot longer. You know, you don't go to a funeral home and, you know, somebody's been dead for three days and, and you really, they really stink and, you know, they look like they're decomposing. You know, because of our embalmment. Like in Brazil, they don't embalm. And so, you know, almost never is there a funeral more than 24 hours after the death. You know, somebody dies at six o'clock in the morning, 4 before five o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, you know, just totally different. I tell them, you know, we have funerals two or 5 days later. They're like, what? You know, let them do that. But, but because they don't embalm. So, you know, I just think this is this is just really like, you know, whoa, no, don't do this. But Jesus says, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And then. He raises his eyes and prays. You know, this isn't the first time he's done this. I'll I'll make a note about this. Uh, You can notice this again in chapter 17 in verse 1. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and prayed. What do we always do when we pray? Bow our head and close our eyes. And often Jesus would look up and pray to God. Now, I don't think it's wrong to bow your head and close your eyes. I do think it's interesting that Jesus often looked up and we almost always look down with our eyes closed. You can do with that what you want to. I think Jesus is talking to God. and, And he says, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. Now he's praying to God, correct? He's praying to God for what? I mean, for what purpose is he uttering this prayer
4: that they might believe?: that he sent him. Does that
0: strike you as bothersome? Yes Why?: I don't like it when people preach
4: their prayers. because they're supposed to be talking to God and not to the people they're praying along with them.
0: Isn't that what we say? You know, you, when you're praying publicly. You ought to just pray just like it was, you know, a private prayer in the sense that you don't think about other people being around because you're just talking to God. If you, if you think about them when you're praying, then you're really not praying to God. That's what I've heard. That's almost what I've taught. I don't think that's biblical. I mean, Jesus here prays a prayer, but he prays it for the sake of those who are listening to him. I would cite other prayers in a similar vein particularly a prayer like Ezra 9 where I think very much Ezra was praying the prayer to lead them in praying and thinking and humbling themselves and repenting. I certainly don't think we ought to pray to impress people. You know, If we're thinking about that, no. But praying to seek to even move those around us yes I, I, think, I think we mistake praying I don't know with what I don't know a good word for this but like you know if you don't preach to people many of you guys have, have given lessons or talks or whatever haven't you you know do you normally do those just kind of off the cuff and if you ever prepare what you're going to say? Yeah, you do. When we pray, do we ever prepare what we're going to Pray publicly, do we ever prepare what we're going to say? It would be appropriate. Even to be able to say it in a way that's helpful for those who are listening. Not to impress them, but to help them. to to express things that are going to be helpful to them as they're praying together with us. I think this shows us that it is appropriate to consider the audience when we pray. And I think, I, I know I need to do better with that. And I think it would really help us if we put more preparation and effort into praying well, that it would be more edifying to those who are listening. So... Whatever that's worth. Then Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. He's calling his sheep by name. Probably a good thing too. What if he have just said, come forth? <laughs> 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 I suspect it's a good thing he identified who it was. And then what does he say? Unwrapping. Yes, I love Jesus in this. It reminds me of the miracle when Jesus raised Jairus's daughter. Remember what he says to do there? Give you her know, something to eat. And the point I make there, and the point I think that's reasonable to think about here, is Jesus never was overwhelmed with amazement by what he did. You know, you can see everybody so... Odd, so astonished, so excited, so whatever, they don't even bother to take the, you know, mummy wrappings off of him. You know, you can see them so excited they don't even think about the fact this poor 12 year old girl's hungry, you know, give her something to eat. Jesus was never like that. You never see Jesus say, Ha! Look at that! I did it! Oh. And I really don't say that to be funny. It is funny, I guess. But. but my point is that tells you so much about Jesus you know Jesus is so powerful and so poised and so calm he never impresses himself he did what he purposed to do it's almost like this is kind of in a day's work for Jesus it's a part of what he does No man would be like this. I guarantee you, you raise the dead. You're going to be jumping up and down and sending texts right and left. (laughs) You know, wow. Jesus knew he had the power. There was no surprise to Jesus that Lazarus actually came forth then. To me, that just further exalts Jesus' greatness. Jesus is the one who's calmly in control of the situation. He's the one who says... You know, could you please take those wrappings off of it? All right, comments or questions through 44. Yes, Justin.
1: Jesus has always been about just getting his job done. I mean, he doesn't let anybody get in his way, anybody distract him from what he's doing. He's always just been focused on, this is my job, I'm going to do my job. This is what I'm here to do.
0: Amen. Kelly? Yes. Yeah,
1: what you're saying about Jesus telling him to depress
2: himself, Luke 10.
1: How the
0: apostles that come back or the disciples come back and they're so impressed with what God allowed to do. Yeah, yeah, we cast out the demons. They they really got they really left. Yeah, you don't see Jesus doing that. Jesus really there's so much about Jesus' character and poise and manner that really impresses you the more you see him. I mean it's not just you know, it's almost like Jesus' reaction to this almost impresses me as much as that he could do it. It's really it's really amazing if you stop and think about it, Micah.
5: It's not even a dumb question, but um, why isn't
1: that in different miracles, uh, Jesus does, he commands
5: people to do that? Like, he tells them to get the to get the pots or whatever. And he tells them to throw them
3: out. He tells them to roll away. He tells them
0: to do stuff. Why is that? It's a good observation. I think it's because, you know, he intends for others to do his bidding. I mean, you know, Jesus doesn't do it all. He involves other people and gives them assignments.
5: True,
1: true belief. Say what? Shows their true belief.
0: Yeah, it does. belief. So think of the magicians and
5: how they'll, you know, get other people to do it so that they can kind of see there's
3: no trick in the hand.
0: Yeah, in some cases, particularly in the turning the water to wine, I think it's that in some ways. Maybe taking the stone away can be the same thing. Eric. Um,
3: I think it's cool to see, too, how Jesus is very intent on making sure that people understand what the point of this is, like, and who he's trying to magnify in this, you know. Uh, He says, you know, did I not tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? And then then he talks about uh, uh, the Father, you know, and, and and praise this specifically so that people can hear and see that it is the Father. Good point. And Another thing, like though one person was
1: saying that Jesus did not let anything get in His way, so He did it so He could accomplish His things, so He could praise God for it and save us all. That's what that's what we should do in today's society. Similarly, we should let no worldly thing in our way and make a straight path and obey Jesus,
5: obey God so we can please Him. Amen. Amen. Oh. Then. Can you explain a little more why Jesus didn't necessarily celebrate or or was seeing people really happy at this? Because we're we're told that the angels rejoice in Luke 15, you know, when a a soul is is saved. And you see Jesus weeping for for these people. Why not you don't see a, a celebration or necessarily feeling of great joy and happiness?
0: Well... I hadn't thought about that. My initial thought is John 4. Jesus was overjoyed at the Samaritan harvest when people were turning to him and being converted. He didn't even want to eat, and he talks about how this is so great that the seed's already producing the harvest. Maybe he didn't feel the same way about raising somebody from the dead. It's
3: more
2: important for the soul, I guess. That, that's a
0: decent... that that would be my first thought, but who knows?
2: We I mean, like
4: Lazarus felt like leaving paradise and going back to the earth.
0: Don't know what all that was about. I don't know. Yeah, yeah Justin.
4: Well, I think going back to what he said
1: um, or what he asked, um, you know, he's always focused on the glory of God. He's here to bring glory to God, and so because he does something, he doesn't want to be like you know, look at me. I'm so excited about what I did, but you know,
0: focus on. God. That's for sure. Yes. There's not a verse that says Jesus smiled,
5: but you know, there was a whole section that we didn't get to see because it switches over to the Pharisees you. I I wouldn't be surprised if he was happy and overjoyed and started, you know, and how would you not be overjoyed to see your brother and I'm sure if he felt sadness with them that he felt happy
0: Yes, him. yes. I don't think it's that he didn't feel happy. It's that he didn't allow the you know, amazement that he could do it. To keep him from, you know, calmly attending to the needs of the situation and maintaining his control. Josh.
5: Okay. All right.
0: Yes, Josh.
1: Example for things that we're supposed to do, for things we're supposed to believe in. And you made a point of you know, just kind of observing how we always look down and close our eyes. Um, is that something that you feel like we could do, or is that something Jesus did? Because, I mean, he was, Jesus, he was perfect, he had a different, um, you know, rival relationship with God. What were you trying to
6: draw from that? Is that something that you feel
0: like? I don't think there is a Bible posture in prayer. I don't know. Exactly. Have we got got an example of somebody bowing their head and closing their eyes? I'm not sure we do. I just don't think the posture matters, but I think it's appropriate, especially if we're outside, to look up and talk to God.
3: The only thing that comes to mind with that is the parable about the Pharisee and the publican, where the publican is like, you know, look at me. And he says, I'm pretty sure he explicitly says he raises his eyes to heaven. Mm -hmm. But the publican doesn't even, you know, dare to do that. He looks down and says, um, have mercy on me, sinner. So that's
0: it. Yeah, it says, it says the collector was even unwilling to lift up his eyes right. to heaven.
3: Yeah. Right.
0: John?
5: Yeah. Okay. So, um, you might have said this, but why, why did Jesus leave
0: I think he was compassionate toward their sorrow.
5: When did he purpose to raise life?
0: I would think at least from the time the word came to him at the beginning of the chapter okay next section 45 to the end of the chapter
2: Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and beheld that which he did believed on them. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that the Jews had done. The chief priests, therefore, and the Pharisees got to the council and said, What are we to do? For this man does many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe on him, and their own will come and take away both our place and our nation. But a certain one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You do not know anything at all, nor do you take account, into account that it is expedient for you that one man should die for the people uh, rather and the whole nation perish not. Now this he said not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but that he might also gather together into one, the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day forth they took counsel that they might put him to death. Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, but departed from there into the country, near the wilderness, to a city called Ephraim, and there he carried with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. They sought therefore for Jesus, and spoke to one another as they stood in the temple. What do you think? Will he come up to the feast? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees gave him commandment that if anyone knew where he was, he should show them that they might take him.
0: Okay. So, there are a lot of people who believed as a result of Jesus raising Lazarus, as you could imagine. Josh? I hear that they compared to what I think of. I don't have another word for
6: it, but they all understand.
0: That'll be the next chapter, yeah. Now, they're pretty hardened, and uh, you see it here. Some of them go and tell the Pharisees, they convened the council. And look at what they say in verse 47. What are we doing, for this man is performing many signs. Now, what would they like to have said? Ah, it's a bunch of hoaxes. You know, it's fraud. There's nothing to this. They couldn't say that. You can't deny it. But they say if we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They're worried that what Jesus is doing is co- going to cause them to lose their position. Uh, they're very concerned about themselves. Truth is, what they end up doing, crucifying Jesus, is what caused them to lose their position their nation. As a consequence of the judgment God brought on them by the Roman army. So, one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, that special year of Jesus' death, said to them, this is irony, you know nothing at all. (laughs) That's true in more ways than he intended for it to be. And... uh, He says, nor do you take into account that it's expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Now, do you understand what Caiaphas is really trying to say there? So what's he saying? Because? Yeah, it's like he's saying that the maybe even almost the noble thing to do, would be to kill Jesus. He's trying to appease their conscience and say, look, you know, I mean, we've got to kill him. It's better to kill one man than to let the whole nation be destroyed. So really, the right thing to do in this case, you sacrifice one to save the rest. You know, it's not, I think he's, He's rationalizing his course of conduct. You know, we have a, an amazing ability to do that. You know, whatever sin we want to commit, pretty soon we'll work it out in our mind to where it's its really, I mean, that's thats what you ought to do. <laughs> that's what he's saying. He, I think he's trying to convince the others, give them some courage and conviction to just go ahead and sentence his death and look for the opportunity to destroy him. So so that's what Caiaphas says. I mean, it's, it's pretty hard-hearted but on the other hand, what do you see in what he said? What happened? That's what happened. Jesus died for the nation. He was sacrificed one man, so the others did not have to be killed. Caiaphas had no idea but God overruled what he said and made it actually be an unconscious prophecy of what the truth was. This is an amazing case of verbal inspiration. Not exactly what you'd expect because he didn't intend it. But it it was that. It, it, It truly describes what happened in a spiritual sense. And ironically, as the high priest Caiaphas offered the ultimate sacrifice, He's the one who set in motion the events to kill the final Passover lamb. Wow. God has quite a, an ability to use people who have no idea they're being used. That, that's just a remarkable thing. So that, that settles it. They all agree that's the moment in which his death is a foregone conclusion. Now it's when can we arrest him and do it. Comments and questions through 53. Tim.
2: I feel like you see here of like this secret meeting, you know, these two people that never get along anyway. And they come here to the end, uh, I just close to his life, whatever. And all of the book, you know, they, just, they seem to be, we know the real motives, obviously, but, you know, oh, they're concerned he's breaking the Sabbath, everybody's blaspheming or whatever. But really, the real motive is we don't like the popularity, where, you know, he's doing like America's people are going to believe in him, maybe not in us. And, I don't know how concerned they really are about the Romans. Maybe they are, but I mean, it sounds like an excuse to me almost. You know, especially the real motives here, right, is that it's like secret meeting, you know, they're really, it's really awesome. People are selfish, are not really concerned with Sabbath
5: or about blasphemy. I mean, so.
0: Great point. I agree, Dan.
5: So you're saying that God inspired Caiaphas to say this, but he, did not, but he didn't know he was inspired while saying it, is that what you're saying? Yeah.
0: I mean, I don't know how you want to look at it. And I have no idea the process. But God God used Caiaphas's words as, an, as, a, as a prophecy. As, as, a, as a reality. And Caiaphas had no idea what he was saying. So, I mean, I don't know if, I'm not saying necessarily that God you know, got in Caiaphas's mind and, and did this. I, I don't know how that worked. But, but God in whatever ways he chose to do it, made Caiaphas actually prophesy what happened. Yes, Elizabeth. <coughs> Indeed, very much so, Jason. Uh,
1: well, it is God's will to cry down the cross. so it's just either. I mean, I see your point that maybe it's God just causing them to say it, just there, <coughs> or these events just been transpired by God. He just set things in motion before they would realize that, and it's the inevitable. You know, it's just come. It's going to come, come
2: forth, and it's because God's will. He's active here, acted there, position his chess pieces, and they didn't just follow
0: through. Yeah, I, you know, I certainly wouldn't try to second guess exactly how God gets this accomplished. He probably has means I don't understand, but it's what happened. He prophesied as the high priest without ever intending to. Yes. Like okay. To curse to Israel, yes, that, the, I think God really overruled Balaam's mouth on that one, yeah. Is that another reference in yes, I think so. Mm-hmm. I think so. Bill? Uh, 52 refers to the Gentiles. And so... Jesus withdraws again, temporarily, uh, and stays with the disciples. The Passover near. They're going up to the Passover, and they really want to know, what do you think? Will he come? You know, that's kind of the burning question. Uh, the, the chief priests have given orders. If anybody spots him, they've got to squeal on him. They've got to let him know where he is. They're, they're ready to arrest him and get this over with. All right, comments and questions on chapter 11. Alan.
5: I was just going to make a comment on
1: 57. Um, we read at the beginning, um, the light shines in the darkness,
2: and the darkness, I guess you had said maybe overpower might be more correct translation or whatever. But, anyways, you kind of see that happening in all
0: these instances, like the darkness keeps just trying to overpower, but it never succeeds. You're right.
1: What does it mean by hey, guys swill on?
0: Well, he, uh, the, the Pharisees have said, or the chief priests or whoever, that if anybody knows where Jesus is, they should inform them. Okay. All right, very good. I think this is probably uh, a good stopping place uh, for us.